This is the Disciple Makers Podcast. The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was Disciple Maker, and an organization called Disciple First hosted a track called Invest in a Few, How to Raise Up Reproducible Disciple Makers. So that's where the audio for today's episode was recorded. And I want to make sure that you go online and download a free ebook from their team called Invest in a Few, which is about practical ways to disciple people by investing in a few. It's available for free at discipleship.org slash disciple first. That's one word, no slashes, dashes, just discipleship.org slash disciple first. And now for the track session. All right, folks. Uh, well, good to have you here. Uh, we're going to go ahead and kick off. I've got, uh, I've got 229, all right, and a few minutes. So thank you for being here and being a part of the forum. How many of you were at the last, uh, the forum last year, the National Softbank Forum last year? Raise up your hand. All right, so a few of you were here. Very good. A few of you are new to it. So... Um, Welcome. Good to have you here. This is a, this is really a, an exciting time uh, to be a follower of Jesus. An exciting time to be here and learn about disciple making and just to see some of the best of the best uh, through here talking about what does it mean to make disciples and make disciples. So thank you for being here. Let me uh, let me say a couple things on on the top end. We're going to see how. This competition goes with our, our neighbors next door. So anyway, we'll just do the best we can. And um, we'll try to make sure this is loud enough so you can hear me uh, clearly. Uh, let, me, let me introduce myself to you. My name's Craig, Craig Etheridge. I'm a pastor at uh, First Colleyville Church in Colleyville, Texas. So Colleyville is right next to the Dallas-Fort Worth Airport. So we're, we're just uh, two, uh, about five minutes, ten minutes from the DFW airport, and I've been there for ten years, and uh, so we're really blessed to be here. Also, uh, our ministry is called Disciple First, and you'll have an opportunity to hear more about Disciple First and how we can assist you and help you and encourage you along the way as you make disciples and make disciples in your Local churches. Really, our vision is to ignite a movement of disciple making locally and globally. And uh, so we do that through uh, training forums, we do that through conferences, we do that through one on one consultation and learning communities, and we also do that through resources. So we have that available, so we'd love to be a part of helping you and your ministries uh, along the way, even after this uh, forum. So this track is. Uh, about how to invest in a few, all right? Is that the one that you think you're supposed to be in? <laughs> if this is not, then now's your time to, to run for the door. There he goes right there. The first guy is out. No, no he's, he's on our teaching team. He's not going anywhere. Um, yeah, invest in a few. So that's what we're going to talk about uh, over, the next, um, over the next couple of hours, both uh, today and also tomorrow, uh, we're going to talk about some practical steps. You're also going to hear from some proven communicators. Uh, Glenn Underhill is right up here 
on the front row. Uh, Glenn is from Crossroads Church in Noonan, Georgia. And then right behind him is Chris Moody. He'll also be sharing a little bit. He is a senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Beaumont, Texas. Both of them are dear friends and proven disciple makers that lead uh, disciple making churches. And so I know you're going to have um, uh, you're going to have a lot uh, of great input from them. Uh, I am uh, married to Liz. We've been married for gosh 32 years now, and got married when I was 10. And uh, 32 years, we have two daughters, one that just graduated from Baylor University. No, no Baylor people in the room? All right. And, uh, and then one, I uh, have a younger daughter that's at Texas, at Texas A&M. Nearly said Texas Tech, because I'm a Texas Tech Red Raider, but no, she went to the Aggie land. So anyway, that's, that's a little bit about uh, our family. And um, what I want to talk about is how do you practically invest in another person where you see them begin to reproduce. That's what we're talking about. And so we're going to, hopefully this is going to be extremely practical for you, very helpful for you. We're going to take, our group is perfect size to interact, ask questions. So I, I'm really, really great. Will you raise up your hand and go, I, I didn't get that. Could you repeat that? Or why do you think that? Um, I would be happy to, to do that. So please don't hesitate to um, raise your hand and let's make this as interactive as possible. I'm really thankful for people that invested in my life. I would not be here if it hadn't been people. I had a dad uh, that walked with God that taught me to love Jesus and uh, was instrumental in me coming to faith in Christ. Um, When I was in high school, I had a youth pastor that took me out and spent time with me. And we didn't really go through a lot of official book kind of discipleship stuff, but I remember him just speaking into my life. Uh, I remember uh, going to seminary, and I had different people that invested in me. A man named Cecil McGee uh, invested in me. He was Cecil stood about five foot two, maybe about 130 pounds, soaking wet. He was a little guy, but he was a mountain of a man as far as uh, in his prayer life. And he said, Craig, if you want to learn how to pray, meet me at my house at 6 a.m. And I'm like, 6 a.m.? I only know of a 6 p.m. You know, because no 6 in the morning. So I, I went to Cecil's house and we'd get down on our knees and he would pray. And I listened to him pray. And I learned so much about prayer from Cecil McGee. He really trained me, invested in my life. He used to call me little brother. Now, little brother, he'd look up at me. He'd tap me on the chest. He'd say, little brother. <laughs> I still remember. He sees with the Lord now. But he'd say, little brother, you be sure you stay on your knees. It's all about Jesus. I'll never forget that. Uh, later on from there, I had, as I pastored my first church, there were three businessmen in our church that were disciple makers. And one of them was a navigator. One of them wrote uh, their own material, heavily influenced by the navigators. Another guy was a businessman and and they, they invested in men. And so I said, how, did, how do you do that? What do you, what do you do when you meet with a guy? And so they started discipling me and investing in my life. Even though I was their pastor, they were teaching me how to invest in others. So now when I disciple business leaders, I feel like I'm just paying it forward. You know, I really learned what I'm going to share with you, not by pastors, unfortunately, and not by seminary professors. I learned it from businessmen who taught me how to invest in other people. So that's what I'm going to be sharing with you today. And probably if we had time, we could probably go around and each of you could share people that invested in your life. 
And so there's nothing more powerful and palpable than having someone invest in your life. But how do you do that? And, and how do you do it practically? How do, what, are some, what are some things you can do to, to be really a lot more effective? Uh, Paul said to Timothy, and the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will then teach others also. So that's the pattern that we're following. And that's what we're trying to learn how to do. How do I entrust what I know into faithful, reliable men and women that will then reproduce and teach others also? So that's what we're going to be talking about uh, on this track. What you will learn in this track, we got this up here. I don't know if you can see that in the back. Uh, but what you'll learn in this track is you're going to learn uh, Jesus' process for investing in men that would change the world. We're going to talk about that. Three things to do when you choose someone um, to invest in. Uh, how to have that first conversation. That's the first conversation of saying, hey, would you like to be discipled can be an awkward conversation. So we're going to get real practical. How do you have that first conversation? What do you say? Why investing in groups is best? We're going to talk about uh, what is a core competency or what are core competencies and why they matter. That's going to be really important. That'll be in our next session this morning or this afternoon. Uh, Four powerful practices for getting the most out of your investment time. What to do when you're in the group that will really make a powerful impact. Essential elements to develop godly character uh, in the people you're discipling. We're going to talk about that tomorrow morning. How do you deal with the inside character issues? Uh, Then also, we're going to deal with tomorrow what it will cost you to invest in others. What it will cost you to invest in others. Uh, Then we'll kind of wrap up with how to invest in others for the long haul. And then we're going to, we're going to do a, a little section at the end of the last session tomorrow with the Q&A uh, with, with Glenn and, and myself and with uh, Chris Moody on just what are some practical things that we've seen over the years investing in people uh, that have been effective. and give you a chance just to share, ask questions, and for us to have a great little dialogue about that. Okay? So that's where we're headed. If you uh, stick with us on the track... You'll get all that, okay? If not, you know, I'm sorry, you're going you're gonna to miss out. So I'm um, trying to encourage you to stay with us, all right? So let's just uh, let's jump right into it now. Let's talk a little bit about investing in a few Jesus' style. So if you've got, if you've got a Bible, I want to encourage you to open, open your Bible up. And I want us to take a minute to, uh, to look at it. We're going we're gonna to be looking in... Just go ahead and turn to the passage that everybody turns to when they talk about disciple making. So let's go ahead and do that. Uh, we're going to look at Matthew 28. And I want to, I want to, we want to take a look at what Jesus, what Jesus called his disciples to do. And I, I could, I could literally do a whole uh, day on what I'm going to cover in like just a few minutes right here. So I'm going to be flying fast and low. Uh, but y'all are really smart, and y'all have just track right with me, right? Amen. Um, Matthew 28, verse 16. Let's back up there. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when he saw them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always 
to the end of the age. In Matthew 16, it says that Jesus told his disciples to go to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. Now, we're not really sure exactly which mountain that is. Uh, the scripture doesn't really say. It just says the mountain in Galilee. But uh, if you've ever been to, to Israel, uh, there's a high probability that he's talking about Mount Arbel. Mount Arbel. How many of you have actually seen Mount Arbel or are familiar with that? Some of you have been on Mount Arbel. It has a very pronounced uh, profile. A high peak drops off. It'd be great for base jumping or you know, something like that. You know, hang gliding or something. Uh, but Mount Arbel is strategically placed on the northwestern section of the Sea of Galilee, right along the Trail of Doves, it's right between Capernaum and Nazareth. We know that Jesus traveled that route. That was a major route. Uh, most people believe Mount Arbel was the mountain he's talking about because it's the highest mountain in Galilee. Surely Jesus had been there. And so I'll never forget standing last year, standing on Mount Arbel, and we're reading the Great Commission, we're reading this passage. If you look to the north, you see the peak, mountain, uh, the snow-covered peaks of Mount Hermon. If you look over to the east, then you see the Golan Heights and over into Jordan area. If you could look to the south, you see the Jezreel Valley that stretches out like a patchwork quilt. And then you hit the, the rolling hills of Samaria. And if you could possibly see that far, you went all the way down to Jerusalem. If you turn to your back, then to the west and look west, you can see two towers to an electrical plant that's right there by Caesarea Maritima, where the Apostle Paul left there to take the gospel uh, to, to Rome. So this is a very powerful place. And right on this mountain, you can literally see the nations. So how cool is that, that Jesus would say, go and make disciples of all nations standing right there on that peak. And so when you think about that, this particular passage is important because there are two things that are mentioned in this passage. The first thing that's mentioned in this passage is, I'm going to just write some of this down here. First thing that's mentioned is the product. The product. What is the product that Jesus tells us to make in this passage? Somebody tell me. That's right, to make disciples. It's the divine imperative, right? It is, it is the made verb. The main verb there, he said, is to make, I don't know why I'm writing up here because my handwriting is so bad, but make disciples. Now, the word disciple there is the word mathetes, which means a learner or to learn. The Hebrew equivalent is taladim, which means, again, a learner. That was what someone was called if they were following a rabbi. So to make a disciple is the product of what Jesus told us to do. I really believe, and this is what, this, this is what drives me as a person, as a follower of Jesus, and as a pastor, that I believe if Jesus commanded me to make disciples, then one day I'm going to give an account for the disciples that I've made. I don't think Jesus is going to say, man, how many did you have on Easter in 2017 or 2018? You know, what, what, what was your best sermon series you ever preached? Or how big was that campus now? Did you ever get that campus expanded? I don't think he cares a squat about those things necessarily. But I do think he cares greatly about this. Did we make disciples? And did we lead churches that make disciples? Did we lead ministries that make disciples? And so uh, as, as a pastor and leader over the years, we have tried to wrestle with what is a disciple? How do we, how do we clearly define what a disciple is? If we're going to make one, we've got to clearly have a good game plan for what it is. Jim Putnam talked a little bit about that in the previous session. But I will tell you, I'll just briefly give you, I hate to do this, but for the sake of time, I'm going to. 
I'm going to just briefly give you what we came to a definition of a disciple. Okay? This is what, and I, when I say we at our church, the church that I pastor, we had to come to a grips of what a disciple is. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and tell you what, uh, what a disciple is. For, we call this 3D uh, disciple, like three-dimensional. All right? The first one is devoted. A disciple is devoted to Jesus. Uh, if you go to Matthew 4, uh, 18, 19, 20, uh, you have Jesus saying, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. That follow me part means to be devoted to Jesus. So at, at its basic level, a, follow, a follower of Jesus, a disciple is someone who believes in Christ, right? It's heard the gospel, come to faith in Jesus, cross the line of faith, and they've been born again. So that's, that's, the, that's the baseline. They're devoted. But it also means something more than that. They are developing they're developing. They're not only devoted to Christ in that they're saved, but they are, they're growing, they're developing. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop two thoughts in your mind right now that I'm going to come back to in a little bit later that are very important. Developing in what way? How are disciples to develop? Well, I'm going to give you two words. The first word is they're developing in their character. That is, on the inside, who they're becoming on the inside. But they're also developing in what I, what I call competencies. That is practices on the outside. So these disciples, when Jesus was training up his men, he trained them uh, in such a way that they became changed on the inside, right? They became more and more like Christ. This is God's goal for us, right? That we become more and more like him uh, and reflect his glory even more. That uh, we would become Christ-like. Um, but not only that, that we would have certain competencies that would allow us to reproduce. Jesus trained his men to do certain things. And in, just, in the next session, I'm going to tell, we're going to dive deep into what are the core competencies a disciple needs in order to reproduce. Okay? So a disciple is both devoted to Christ. Uh, they are developing in these two things, both inside and outside, character and competency. And then the third thing is this disciple is also deployed, deployed into the mission. Uh, when you talk about somebody that is deployed, a soldier that's deployed, they clearly know what that means, right? They've been training, 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 and then they get, they get shipped off to Afghanistan or they get shipped off to, to Europe or wherever, and they're now on the battlefield. And that's what deployment means, that you are deployed into the mission of Jesus, that you are seeking to save the lost, that you are uh, going after reaching people that need Christ, and you're engaged in the game of investing your life and producing reproducers. So what we said is, man, this is, this is the target right here. We're trying to make disciples. That, that in its simplest form is what a disciple is. A fully formed, fully developed disciple would be devoted to Christ, developing in the character and competencies of Jesus. And, and thirdly, deployed. They're, they're engaged in the mission, right? Now, just think what that would be like if in your church you had a whole bunch of those. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, because these people, they're, 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 that's who's going to lead your church. That's, they're going to give. They're going to serve. They're going to be engaged. They're going to they're be reaching their neighbors and their family and friends and coworkers. They're, everybody wants these in their church. 
Right? We want more of these. The only problem is you've got to grow them. You've got to make them. That's why he said make disciples. Now, I hope, not pray they transfer over to your church from somebody else's church, right? Hey, man, we like some of that. But, but we like some, some you just got to make yourself, you know, right there. And uh, that's really the mission of the church, right? That's why we're here, is to make disciples. Now, this, if this is the product, and by the way, all this comes out of Matthew 28, this product, make disciples, the divine imperative. Jesus also, in this statement, gives us the process, how to make disciples. Which, by, again, like I said, I, there's a long play version. I'm just shrinking this down for our sake because it's, it's important to set this context. When we come in and start talking about how to invest in a few, you understand where it fits in the bigger picture. Jesus talks about also the process. How, if this is the what, all right, then this is the how. How do we make these kind of disciples? That's a really great question. How do I do that? I mean, as a, as a, uh, a new pastor, as a discipleship pastor, I was constantly reading and searching for how does that actually happen? But what I found is that right here in Matthew 28 is the process as well. In fact, there are some key words in Matthew 28, that began to enlighten uh, the pathway, so to speak, the spiritual growth pathway, the discipleship pathway for us. The first word that he says is go, right? Go and make disciples of all nations. Then the next word is, what is it? Baptize. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what's the next one? Teaching obedience. Who said that? Oh, perfect. You know, normally people say teaching only, but it's teaching them to what? Obey. So normally in the church we say teaching to obey, when it really should be teaching them to obey, right? And the emphasis is on obedience, not just on transference of information. And so baptizing them, then, then I'm going to be teaching obey. I'm going to put obey in capital letters here. And then there's one more that is implied. There's one more that's implied. If he said he commanded them to obey all that he commanded them, what did he just command them to do? Make disciples, right? He just commanded them to make disciples. So that would imply obedience implies multiplication. Okay, so this is really, in, in a nutshell, Jesus is giving you the four stages of how a disciple is made. A disciple is made first by going. This is what in our church we call the explore phase. This is when people are coming to faith in Christ. They're exploring the claims of Jesus. They don't know. They haven't crossed the faith line yet, but they're exploring. They want to know. They need to hear the gospel. They need to process through. They get their spiritual questions answered. And then eventually, I'm going to put a little cross here, that they have to make a decision to cross the faith line. They have to make a decision to come to faith in Jesus. And at that point, they are baptized. We're going to put connect, because that's what we say in our church, that we want to connect them then into the body. Baptism is more than just getting wet. It is identification with Jesus and with the Jesus people. That's why it's done in community. And so what he does is that new believer crosses the faith line and then they become connected with Christ and with Christ's people and with the cause of Jesus. And I can even show you in the life of Jesus how he did this with his disciples, how he connected them to him and to each other and to the cause. But eventually they need to keep moving in their spiritual growth. 
And so they moved to this teaching obey part. This is what we call in our church the grow phase. But what we really mean is we're, they're, training, they're training and developing and being equipped to reproduce. This is the point where, where a person is trained and equipped and developed to walk with God on their own, to reach their world, and then to invest in a few. There has to be a place and a time and an environment for that training to happen, or it never will happen. Now listen, most people stop right here, all right? If we can just get them across the faith line, get them in groups, get them going to church, get them baptized, maybe they'll give a little bit, praise God, hallelujah. If we can hang on to them and our church will grow, we're wildly successful. But you can be wildly successful with a large group of people showing up on the weekend and never really fully make mature disciples. Isn't that true? You know that's true because you got people like that in your church, don't you? Just like I do in mine. So they need to be trained. They need to grow. I, I just love, I was looking through the little program that they gave you, and I think Lifeway has got an ad for their disciple pay. You see this guy, 62-year-old guy with a pacifier in his mouth? That just cracked me up. I love that picture because it's so true, right? Grown on the outside, but, but still baby on the inside. And so they, they've got to grow up. They've got to grow. But then eventually, once this person has been trained and developed and equipped, then they need to be launched out to multiply in the lives of others. Launch out into the world to multiply, to uh, invest in others, to share the gospel, to win people to Christ, and to move them then back through this process. Now helping explorers come to faith connect with, uh, with other believers and with Christ to begin to train up and do the same thing. So disciple-making begins with evangelism and ends in multiplication. That is the whole process. And isn't that cool that Jesus dropped all of that in that one little statement, what we call the Great Commission? All of it's right there. The product and the process. Now, this is Jesus' style of disciple-making. Now, in a local church... Or in a ministry, these four stages need to be represented at some point. What are we doing to reach people that are far from God? How are we moving them across the faith line? How are we connecting these new believers in in the Word and with Christ and with the local church? How are we then equipping them and investing in them so that they can then be launched out to multiply? Y'all with me so far? All right. You understand? Everybody agree? Disagree? Yes, sir. (laughs) <laughs> no, go ahead, trouble it up. Yeah. So obviously he's talking to his disciples. He's, he's about to leave. His time is short. His po- this is post-resurrection. And so he's telling them to go. And what is he telling them to go do? Well, he's already done that because, you know, if you read back in Luke, Luke chapter 8, Jesus went with them on many of these go trips. All right? And then Luke chapter 9, he sent them off on a go trip all by themselves and said, well, let's check back. Then in Luke chapter 10, he sees them go off on a go trip, and then they multiply to 72 that are going out on go trips. So they clearly understood that go wasn't for them to be evangelized, but for them to go out and to evangelize. That their going was to go out and share the gospel. In fact, does that make more sense to you now? Yeah, and so he's telling them to go share the gospel with those who have not heard and then to baptize those new believers that heard them and then to train them up in obedience so they could be reproduced. Yes, very good. All right, so here's what, the reason why I want to lay this out for you is because um, 
This is really our job. Our job is to move as many people as we can through this process. This is the job of the local church, to move as many people as possible through this process. Now, that's going to mean that as churches, we're going to have to be very intentional to create environments at every stage. We have to have programming and environments for people that don't know Christ so that we can answer those questions and help them uh, come to faith in Jesus. We have to have ways to connect people with the body other than just our Sunday morning gathering, which is a great, great thing, but not sufficient for this kind of connection. Maybe groups, uh, something of that nature. Then, then we have to be able to train people how to grow and how to reproduce. And then we have to have some environment that helps those multipliers to stay hot-hearted and to continue to multiply for the long haul. You know, Jesus never told us to build the church, right? He never told us that. In fact, he said that was his job. He said, I will build my church. But he did tell us to do one thing, and that was to make disciples. And here's what I know. If we will be faithful to do what our job is, he will be faithful to do what his job is. And if we'll be faithful to make disciples, he will build his church. And he will build and raise up leaders that will go and multiply to the ends of the earth. And he promises on top of all of that. And by the way, if you're just committed to this, even if you botch it, even if you don't have to do it right, even if you fail on the way, if you will just give your heart to it, I will be with you. I will be with you to the very end of the age. I'm so glad for that because so many times in my life I have failed miserably. I've, I, I've botched a, a spiritual conversation. I have not done a good job of following through with somebody I was supposed to disciple. I have, I have botched it so many different ways. You can't possibly have done it any worse than I have. But I've found the presence of Jesus makes up the difference. And where I fall short, He is always faithful to be there and to make good on it. Because it's His commission. It's His church. It's His calling. It's not ours. It's all about Him. So as we talk about disciple-making and investing in a few, this is what we're, we're talking about here, is, is we're really going to focus now on this phase. So our track, Invested a Few, is focusing on this phase right here. Does that make sense? Now, you can invest in someone here, and you would invest in someone that is, does not know Jesus to try to help them cross the line. You can invest in someone here by helping them be rooted in the Bible, rooted in community, and so on. That's very important as well. But when we say invest in a few for this track, what we're talking about is this investment. How do you invite people to this level where you're going to invest in them to show them and train them how to walk with God, how to reach their world, and how to invest in others? How do you do that? And what does that look like? And what does a group like that look like? And how could you walk somebody through it? How long does it take? And what should you do when you get together? And what are the signs that help them to develop both the character and the competencies of Jesus right here so that they will be uh, fruitful reproducers for the kingdom? Okay, that's what we're talking about. So all this was really set up, all right? All this was prologue, right? To get you to the point of talking about what do we mean when we talk about uh, invest in a few, okay? So uh, what I'd like to do is, over the next bit of our time, is just kind of dive into some very, very practical things, okay? I don't have any handouts for you. 
uh, but we do have things that I'm scribbling on the board here, and then something a little clearer you can read on the screen, uh, and we can also provide my notes for you afterwards if you'd like, um, uh, if that would be helpful. So let's begin with, uh, with this question about selection. Who are you going to select into this phase right here? How do you select someone, or, or maybe another way to say it is, in whom should you begin to invest your life? Um, so how, how do you begin to do that? Uh, getting started can often be the hardest part. I remember uh, when I was a young pastor, I was in an inner city church in Oklahoma City, and I was just growing in these areas of disciple making. And uh, one of those businessmen... I was saying, well, I don't know who to start with. You know, who should I, who should I pick? Who should I disciple? And I'll never forget, he, he told me, he said, Craig, you just need to pray that God will give you a man. And then when God gives you a man, then invest in him. I'm like, well, okay, that sounds really simple. So I'm a simple guy. So I started praying, Lord, bring me a man. Bring me somebody to invest in. And so I was praying that for a couple of weeks. And then uh, one Sunday night, it was a Sunday night now, a uh, small inner city church uh, in Oklahoma City. And I, after church service was over, I was standing out in the hallway of the church. And this young guy walks in the back door. Never seen him before at all. Didn't, never met him. Young guy looked like he was right out of college. He starts walking toward me. So I walked toward him. And I said, hey, uh, my name's Craig. He said, hi, my name's Gibson. I said, well, hey, Gibson, what's going on? He goes, I, I don't know, I'm just kind of. You know, came, came to the church. So we started talking for a little bit. Yeah, I just, just got out of college. I'm moving in the area. And I just felt a prompting of God's spirit. And so I said, hey, Gibson, you know, I'm meeting with a couple other guys uh, in next week. We're just going to study the Bible and pray. And would you be interested in doing that? He goes, yeah, sure. So the next week we get together in the morning. We start meeting together. He and two other college guys started to study the Bible and pray and, and hold each other accountable. This went on for several months as we started kind of walking this discipling relationship. Gibson eventually uh, came on our staff and, and helped us uh, launch another campus and did a great ministry. Then we went from there to seminary, Southern Seminary. Now he's a church planner in Philadelphia, has four kids, and we've, we've got a great, uh, still a great relationship to this day. I remember uh, about a year ago I was talking, we were in Israel together. And we were talking about that. I said, remember that crazy time when, man, I was just, you know, I saw you come in that door. He goes, yeah. He said, did I ever tell you the rest of that story? I'm like, what do you mean? I, I guess not. I don't, didn't know there was another part of it. He goes, oh, yeah. He said, you see, I had just gotten out of college and, and I was just asking God, God, I need someone that will disciple me. God, I need somebody that would invest in my life. And he said, I was driving down the street right by that church he said, I'd never been in there before, but I really felt the Spirit of God say, you need to turn in the parking lot and just walk in the door. So he said, I, just, I didn't know anybody. I didn't know what. He said, I just pulled in the parking lot. He said, I walked in there. As I walked in the door, here you were walking toward me, and you shook my hand, and you said, hey, you want to? And I thought, wow. Here I was praying, Lord, bring me a man. And he had another guy over here saying, Lord, show me somebody that will disciple me. The beautiful thing is God's always at work upstream, isn't He? He's always at work. And if you will just pray, Lord, I need somebody to disciple, that God will surely bring that person by you. 
Because just as He's stirring in your heart to invest in someone, He is stirring in someone else's heart to receive that. And who knows what they will do? Gibson went on to, man, he's made disciples that make disciples that make disciples. And God's really using him, but it was, it was that divine intersection. And it starts with you praying and asking someone to, to disciple. So here's some just really practical things you can do when you look about selection. <coughs> First thing is just to pray. You know, Jesus in Luke 6, 12 through 13, Jesus spent all night in prayer before he selected the 12. And then he selected those. So you need to start now saying, Lord, um, who is it that you want for me? And begin to pray fervently, regularly, fasting, seeking God. Lord, what, what man, what woman do you want me to invest my life in? The second thing that's, that may be a little more uh, obvious as well is just to look. And that is to look for people who have a spiritual interest. When Jesus chose these 12 in Mark 3, 13 and 14, uh, he didn't just pick them out of the sky. He was looking for people with a spiritual interest. By the time Jesus actually uh, chooses the 12 so that they may be with him and he might send them out to preach. And to, so they get to this point. They've been with Jesus somewhere around two years. They've been, they've been with Him a long time. They, they've, they've been interacting with Jesus. Jesus knows them. And Jesus has watched their spiritual hunger. And the longer they've been with Jesus, they, they spiritually begin to pop. We call them poppers at our church. What we mean by that is they're, they're showing up. They're eager. They're reading their Bible. Whatever you tell them to do, they're going to do it. They're hungry. They're eager. They're, they're teachable. Who are the people around you that are showing spiritual interest? I have to be honest with you, one one of the things that I have done not very well is sometimes I've tried to manufacture spiritual interest in people. You ever try to do that? Oh man, if you come to this deal, man, you're really going to, you know, you need to get in this deal and and we'll get together. And I'm thinking in my head, you know, he's a little kind of lukewarm, but if I can get my hands on him, I can fire him up. I don't really think that consciously, but I think that's that's, that's not, it's coming out of a pure motive. I really want this guy to walk with Jesus. But only the Holy Spirit can create spiritual hunger. I mean, spiritual conviction. The role of the Holy Spirit in John 16 is to bring conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. That's His role. He's the one that draws men and women to Christ. He's also the one that fans that fuel of hunger and desire within them. And the times that I've tried to pour into someone who's not ready to receive it, it's time, sometimes I look back and go, man, I just, I wasted some time. In fact, I had this one young man one time and I thought, man, I'm going to really invest in him. He really needs what I have to say. All right. And so he was in high school and so we'd meet, I'd feed him. That's the only reason why he showed up probably because I was buying. And I'd feed him and we'd go over this book and I was, man, I was giving him my best. But every once in a while, you know, he wouldn't make eye contact or he'd look at his watch I could just tell, man, this isn't really going that well. So after about five weeks, I kind of brought it to a close and just said, well, this probably isn't really time for him. Come to find out about a year later, he, he sought me out. He said, I just want you to know something. He said, I just was saved about a week ago. He said, you see, I, I had told you that I knew Christ, but 
I really didn't. I was living this double life. I was far from God. I had no spiritual interest. And he said, I was on my way to a party where I know there's going to be a lot of drinking and carousing going on. And he said, right when I got up there, the Spirit of God convicted me. And he said, I couldn't even get out of the truck. He said, I broke down in tears. And I realized that I was lost and I was going to hell. And that, and that my life was, was a train wreck. And he said, I asked Christ to forgive me and to come into my life. He said, I'm a new guy. I'm a different person. And he said, I'm really sorry that we, you spent all that time with me. He said, because I really wasn't receiving it very much. And, you know, at the end of that, I praise God that he is saved, right? But I also realized that I was trying to force something on him that he wasn't quite ready for. So I just, in my experience, would say, look for those that have a spiritual hunger. Look for people that are eager and ready to receive uh, as you look for who to invest in. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Did you hear what he said? We spend so much time on the first three soils, we don't ever get to the last one. And that's true. Yeah, get another man. Yeah, yeah that's good. Uh, and I think it, I, I'm going to tell you a little bit about a way to do this. Uh, in fact, I'll just go ahead and give you a little thought of it, and I'll come back around to it later. Repetition's a good thing. Um, I think if you will disciple in stages, this will help you. And what I mean by that is, don't say, hey, you want to meet with me for one full year? Okay. Man, people are going to roll by the back of their head, and I mean, a year, you're going to get into this thing. And then, you know, you find out five weeks into it that they're really not into it, and then it's a failure, they didn't get through. So we found that if you will start with something that's four to seven weeks long, and then you can really assess where that person is. If they're showing up, they got the memory verse done, they're hungry, I've had guys after my first time, like first seven weeks, and I said, well, we're done with that. And he goes, oh, we can't quit. Man, wait, 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 we're not done. You know, that's the kind of guy, you know, you really want. I've had some guys that after week three, they lost their book. You know, what, are we still meeting? You know, they don't know what we're doing. I'm like, man, gosh, you're killing me, you know. So uh, I just say that I'm dealing with it like you're dealing with it. And I've got groups going on right now just like you do. And so discipling in stages is helpful. Now, here's the amazing thing. Did you know Jesus did that? This whole first stage, uh, if you start to in, in, overlay the life of Christ, we don't have time for me to do that in depth today. But Jesus had about uh, 12 to 18 months here, then about another six months here, roughly six months here, about another nine months here. Jesus would go for a period of time, then he would raise the level of expectation. Go a little while, then raise the level of expectation. So Jesus discipled in stages. And so I think it's good for us to just do it like Jesus did. And so if you do that, then you can monitor their eagerness, right? Their hunger and their receptivity to what you're saying. So look for the people that are hungry. Uh, By the way, Paul chose Timothy in Acts 16 because he had a reputation for being hungry and ready. And so... That's why Paul chose him. Uh, Then the third thing is just to discern, um, are they reliable? Are these reliable men? Uh, I remember, um, I guess, some navigators telling me you want to look for people that are fat, right? Y'all have heard that, right? Faithful, available, teachable. Every once in a while, people try to put in re- reliable or responsible the R in there, but I think you get in trouble when you you get into trouble when you stick an R in there. Yes, ma'am. Yes, that's going to be very difficult, and that's kind of this discern. I think you're just going to have to pray through it. Let the Holy Spirit give you wisdom in that because every situation is different. 
Yes. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to get to that in just a minute. I'm going to tell you what I say at the very beginning and how you get into it. So I'm, we're, I'm about to teach on that. Uh, and, and the reason why is because most of the people that I'm discipling, they, do, they don't like an a, a unending uh, commitment. And they will say no before, if they go, if this is two years, you know, I'm out. You know, if, if this, so they like the fact that it's a time-bound thing. Uh, but what they don't know is that I've got, yeah, it's this, and then I'm going to ask you to re-up again, and then up again. Uh, that kind of goes to this discipling in stages. But I do think you just have to pray for godly wisdom. You know, what is the motive of this person, and what have you seen, what have you observed? Do you see them really having spiritual hunger or not? Yes, and, and, you know, this is really important. Thank you for mentioning that. Did you hear what he said back there? There's some people who kind of have to spoon feed along and then they're ready to take off. And that's why this stage is a third stage. Because here they need to be in a church with groups of people where they're studying the Bible, where they're experiencing community. And this is that incubator stage. you got a brand new believer. He crosses the line. This is like the nursery. This is why they need to be in a group. Uh, maybe a Sunday school class or a group or a, a men's Bible study or women's Bible study. And they're just, they're just learning the Word. They're just experiencing community. They're in, and then you start to see them pop right here. Then you know, okay, they're ready for high accountability and more training involved. So this, this is why I think that having environments where people can pop is important. Does that make sense? Okay. So um, discerning, uh, discerning, uh, are they faithful? That is, are they going to do what you ask them to do? Are they available? That is, will they give you the time and the energy necessary? I've had some people say, man, I, man I'm, I, would you like to get together and I'll invest in you? And they go, man, I'd love to do that. But whew, man, I'm so slammed at work and I've got ball games every weekend. And then I got the lake house and then I got this, I got that. Well, remember Jesus talked about the sower and the weeds. The cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, desire for other things, choke it out and cause it to be unfruitful. That happens right there. So you have to really be discerning. Are they faithful? Are they available? Are they teachable? Are they hungry to grow? And and here's the last thought on selection. Don't be afraid uh, to disciple people that are older than you are. Um, Don't be afraid to do that. I've had some folks in their... Uh, maybe 20s or 30s, and, and they, they want to disciple other people that are a little bit older, uh, physically older, uh, and they have a problem with that. You know, I would not, uh, not hesitate to do that if the Spirit of God uh, leads you to do that. Paul told Timothy, even in your youth, to set an example for the believers in speech, life, love, faith, and purity. So I think he's saying no matter what their age is, your, your spiritual age and your physical age do not necessarily correlate. Amen? <clears throat> and so just because someone's older than you are doesn't mean that they have walked with God longer or that they've actually grown. So uh, when I was a younger pastor, now not so much these few last days, I'm not sure what that says about me, but when I was younger, a lot of leaders in the church that I wanted to disciple were all older than me. So that's Okay. Uh, now that I've grown a little bit older myself, you know, then that, uh, it's kind of evened out. But uh, I think that, that you need to be willing and ready to disciple however God calls you to do it. Okay, so I think the first thing, first step 
I want you to kind of know we're making disciples. Here's the process. How do we get people into this stage? You need to start looking over here. Who are new believers? Who are people maybe in your church? Maybe you have people that are already have leadership abilities, but they've never really been trained and discipled. Start right there. Most of the time in, my, in the two churches where we transition our churches to become intentional disciple-making churches, I just started looking for who's spiritually hunger, hungry and who maybe is already in a level of leadership that would receive and be eager to be trained, and I start there. Because then they've already got a position to disciple other people around them. Uh, so this is where you're fishing uh, when you're looking for someone to invest in there. And I would encourage you just to make, uh, make a list of some people. Who are, who are some people there that I can start to disciple uh, and invest in? Okay. Then what do you do when you're, ready to, uh, when you're ready to meet with them? What do you do when you're ready uh, to meet with them? So here's, here's where I want to get to that, that first conversation. Once you've identified these people then you want to uh, have a conversation. And I want you to look at, at Matthew four, eighteen. Jesus really shows us how to have this time of conversation. <coughs> Matthew four eighteen, verse uh, 18 through 20. Uh, One day Jesus was walking along the shore of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water for they, were, they, uh, uh, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. So Jesus already has known these guys for a period of time. My little mic came off here. Jesus has already been tracking with them for a period of time, but he's ready to move them into this phase. And so he's identified these guys. Andrew and Peter, James and John, he's going to call them up to the next level. And so what does Jesus do here to do that? And how can that be a model for us? Let me give you a couple of thoughts. First off, Jesus took the initiative. I think when you are looking to call people up to invest in a few, that it's important for you to take the initiative. Now, having said that, some people say, already somebody's going to raise their hand, wait a minute. Craig, you know, sometimes there's somebody that comes up to, to me and says, would you please disciple me? Now, listen, if you're fishing and the fish jumps in your boat, we'll keep it. Right? I mean, they're going to jump on your hook, then reel it in. But I'm just saying that in my experience, that has not always been the case. What, what I am looking for is I'm looking for people, man, they're showing up, they're asking questions, they're reading their Bible, they're hungry, they're eager. And so I will approach them. Why? Because Jesus did the approaching here. And Jesus went to them. He took initiative and he asked them to join him at this next level. So I, want, I would say you need to take uh, the initiative. Don't expect them always to come to you. Don't say, well, hey, I'm ready to disciple somebody. If somebody would come to me, then I'll do it. Well, no, no, no. You need to take the initiative. You pray, you search out, you get a short list of people that, that you prayed for that are hungry and so on, and then you go and approach them, okay? So here's the next thought. When you make this approach, you need to pick the right time and the right place. Now notice what Jesus did. When he went to these guys, he already knew them, he knew their spiritual hunger and interest. He went to them at the right time. This was after they were finished fishing, right? 
they, this was in the morning. They fish all night because the night come up from the bottom of the Sea of Galilee and feed. And so they've been working all night long. Now they were mending their nets. Now their fish was over. Maybe their last catch, but, it, but they, were, they were pretty much done for the day. And they were winding down. And their minds were relaxed and ready to have a conversation. He did not try to engage them in that conversation in the middle of their work day. Right? Hey, y'all stop and come over here. No, he he got them at the right time when they were ready to talk. He also got them in a place where it was comfortable for them. They were used to talking on the Sea of Galilee. That's That's where they were raised. That's where they worked. It was a very comfortable spot for them. So I found, here's what I do with guys. When I, I say I'm going to disciple Glenn right here, I will uh, call him up and I'll say something like this. Hey, Glenn, um, God's really been putting you on my heart lately. And uh, man, I'd just love to take you to coffee sometime. Just find out what's going on in your life. And I don't know why, just God's just got you on my heart. I've been praying for you. And I'd love to, to have, buy you lunch or coffee. And nine times out of ten, if you say, I'm buying, <laughs> that's the magic word. And God's put you on my heart. Man, I don't know why. I'm just, I'm just praying for you. I just want to encourage you. Nine times out of ten, somebody goes, well, yeah, man, how cool is that? that, you know, that uh... Now, sometimes because I'm the pastor, I'm the lead pastor, I have to preface it by saying, you're not in trouble. And I'm not going to ask you for anything, all right? I just want to find out. And I'll literally say that and you can see him go, oh, okay, good. So the right time in the right place, okay? Then um, when you you meet with them, when you settle in, then you first what you need to do is you need to say, hey, again, I told you on the phone that God's put you on my heart and praying for you. How are you doing? Everything okay at work? Everything okay at home? Everything all right with the kids? Or whatever, You're just engage them in that general conversation about their life personally. And you never know. God may have been putting them on your mind because there are some things happening that, that, uh, that they need encouragement in. But you engage them in that conversation. And then after a period of time in that conversation, you want to say something like this. Hey, I just want you to know that, uh, man, God's been doing some neat stuff in my life. And I just want to share it with you. I learned this, uh, how Jesus uh, moves people and really changes them. And I I pull out, literally, this is how I do it. I pull out a little piece of paper, a little napkin, wherever we're eating. And I'll draw out these little stages of explore, then connect, then grow, then multiply. And I'll tell them, hey, you know, there was a time when I was really far from God. This is when I gave my life to Christ. And then I got involved in a church and people helped me. And then recently, uh, somebody helped me to learn to grow. And they trained me how to read my Bible on my own and how to hear from God and, and how to share my faith and that kind of thing. And uh, now I'm really over here. I'm trying to invest my life in others. And then I usually spin it around and I say, where do you think you are in this process? Where has, or I may specifically say, has anybody ever done that for you? Really invested in you and showed you how to hear from God on your own, read your Bible, share your faith. Anybody ever done that for you? Now, if the answer is no, then obviously, then they're a great candidate for you to do that. If their answer is, answer is yeah, oh yeah, yeah, I've done that. Well, then, then that's a whole different conversation. Now you're talking about them multiplying what they've learned. Every person I've talked to, obviously, they've said, no, I've never had anybody do that. In fact, I had one businessman, he's He's, he's worth a lot of money. I met him at a restaurant. I did that conversation with him. 
And I thought, you know, he's kind of buttoned down tight. You know, he's a high-level exec kind of guy. He, he's not going to be that interested. He literally rocked back in his chair. And he said, I've been waiting all my life for somebody to help me learn how to walk with God. I mean, obviously God was at work in his heart. So, you know, when you say, has anybody ever done that for you? And they say, no. Then you say, you know what? Would you like to consider joining me with a couple other people? And we'll just, we'll just do that. You know, I, I'll just teach you what I know. You know, I'm not, I'm not an expert. I, I don't know all the answers, but I can, I can show you what I, what's been shown to me. And I really think it'll help you in your walk with God. Now, let me just say something. When you say it like that, when you say, hey, this was my journey, Has any, uh, this, this really helped me, has anybody ever done that for you? Would you consider doing that? When you have that kind of conversation, it really invites people into it. If you go to that person and say, hey, I want to disciple you. All right? And I know a lot of people that do that. I want to, I want to disciple you. Well, it almost, it, it automatically puts you up here and them down here. And I've had some guys push back and say no because they feel like you're looking down on me or you don't think that I'm this or you don't think I'm that. And they get real defensive about it. And there's no need for that. I think when you say, here's my journey, this is what's helped me. Has anything like that ever happened to you? And would you consider wanting to join in? I've got a couple of the guys we're going to do that with. That seems to take away this hierarchy approach and just a more come alongside approach. Hey, you know, I just I can just show you what I know. You know, I'm just still learning and growing myself, but I'm happy to 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 show you what I know. And I'm telling you, if God's at work, if the Holy Spirit is at work, it's just like having a spiritual conversation with someone who's not a believer. Right. You can share the gospel, but if the Holy Spirit's not convicting, they're not going to be receiving in that moment. But if the Holy Spirit's convicting it as it work, they're going to say yes. The same thing is true moving to this stage. If the Holy Spirit's at work in them and giving them this hunger, then they're going to say yes. That's, I've been looking for that my whole life. So I'd encourage you to, to do that. And then after this, <coughs> the, this is really important part of this. When you invite them, would you consider doing this? Then I think this is really important. You need to cast some vision. For them, and this is, and it doesn't need to be big and developed. You don't have to say this word for word, but look at what Jesus did. He said, "Hey, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men." In other words, what he was saying is, "You guys are giving your whole life to catching fish. I've got bigger plans for you." And I've found, particularly when I disciple men, businessmen, I will say, "You know what? We can spend our whole lives." trying to climb a career ladder. But God many times has something bigger for us than we even know ourselves. God's got something greater, something that will last even beyond our careers. And this is what we're chasing after. Just saying those words cast vision in their heart to say, maybe God's got something here for me that's better than what I'm experiencing right now. And... and Jesus was the master vision caster. Just a few words just captured their heart. Because you look at what they did. It says immediately they dropped their nets and they said, let's go. Immediately they were ready to go. So when you have those first conversations, it's really important uh, to uh, 
Make sure it's the right place, right time. Share with them your story. Invite them to join you in a group uh, and then cast vision. Listen, it is not your job to convince them to be discipled. It's not your job. It is your job to invite them. Jesus never one time pushed anybody through this with their heels digging in the ground. He never did that. He invited them every time to come, to follow me, to come and see, to come be with me. It was always an invitation, and and they could opt out at any time. And uh, Rich Young Ruler and others did opt out. But those that say yes to the Lord are the ones that grow in their spiritual walk with God. It has to be the Holy Spirit that's doing that. So don't feel bad if they go, well, I don't know if I'm ready to do that. Don't say, well, maybe I really messed this up. Just uh, trust that God, your job is just to invite them uh, along the way and then uh, trust the Lord with the results. Okay, we've got about 10 minutes left here, and I'm going to um, say a few comments about, okay, yeah, yes. So it, that's a great, great question. Thank you for bringing that up. Uh, most of the disciple making that I have done and that I advocate is gender specific. Men with men, women with women. In fact, that's just what I'm about to talk about here with groups. Um, however, there are times when you're trying to get disciple making started on a campus or in a church and you don't have, it's kind of easy to start with guys if you're a guy, all right? So you just start there. But then many times it's hard to get l- the ladies involved. So you have to go with two different options. Uh, one option is that you start with couples. But then during the accountability time, you split the guys off and the ladies off. And then you come together for the instruction time with the idea that then those ladies are now equipped to multiply with women down the line. Okay. Or another option is what we call a turbo group where you have some women and men together in a group and you do the same thing. They're just not coupled up. They're just not couples, but they're men and women They separate for the prayer time, accountability time, that kind of thing. They come together for instruction. And then those ladies then begin to reproduce women with women, men with men. You know, Titus speaks very clearly about women discipling younger women and men discipling men. So I think that that is a biblical model. I think, uh, and again, that just kind of rolls into what I'm saying here. I think groups are important. You know, I was discipled by a navigator, not just a navigator, a hardcore navigator. All right, they they can do memory verses, you know, with with doing push-ups with two fingers. You know, I mean, they're hardcore navigators, and uh, he was always man to man. It's got to be one man with one man. That's the way it's going to be. And um, but I do. You cannot argue with the fact that Jesus used a group, right? I mean, you know, yeah. There were times when Jesus went man to man, right, with Peter, restoring Peter, other types of conversation he had. But you can't deny the fact that Jesus, his primary uh, mode was a group. And so I do think that group is a better experience. There have been times when I have done just one man, like one guy, I remember trying to disciple him and he was a pilot. And so he was constantly, my, I'm available on Tuesday, but the next week it's on Wednesday, and the next week it's Saturday. His schedule's all over. He would never meet with the group because he just his schedule was so erratic. So I said, all right, I'm you, one-on-one, and whenever your day is open, I'm going to meet you there because I could just adapt 
to meet him, whatever his open day was. So I think there are going to be times when one-on-one is great. Um, But I think overarching, I think the group is better uh, because the group uh, allows you to really uh, develop community and begin to develop um, relationships far beyond your own personal relationship with them. A uh, couple of things about these groups. One is they need, you need to focus in your group on both character and competency. Character and competency. Inside character and outside um, tangible competencies that they need to know to reproduce. Which, by the way, we're about to break in five minutes, and the next session is all about competency. That's what the whole next session is about. So I won't uh, elaborate there. The second thing is these groups really do need to be gender specific, uh, but you can use these turbo groups or couples groups, I think, to get it started that way if you need to. Um, and I think those are for obvious reasons. They're, they're issues men uh, need to deal with that they're not going to say in front of their wife. And if they're fighting, they're not going to talk about it you know, in the group you know, or just whatever. You know, just life happens. Uh, they're women the same way. They're not going to say anything in front of another man. And so I think it, it's just uh, more uh, uh, authentic and available to help them. Uh, number three, these groups need to be for the purpose of training for multiplication. That's what this whole phase is about. You're training them to multiply. You're training them to reproduce others. So this is what distinguishes it from a women's Bible study or a men's Bible study or a Sunday school class, or a home group. Uh, usually these groups are open groups uh, where anybody can come. This, this is definitely a closed group. Usually these groups are uh, more content-driven. This is usually more character, performance, practice-type driven. Uh, these groups are usually ongoing. These are for a period of time. Uh, these, these usually are intended to grow to get bigger. This is usually intended for you to grow spiritually in depth. And so um, I would say that these groups that I'm talking about, these invest in a few groups right here, we call them grow groups uh, at our church, D groups, you can call them whatever you want, uh, these discipleship groups uh, are for the purpose of training them to multiply, not just going through a Bible study. And that's how I would distinguish those. Yeah, Kim. Yeah, Kevin asked, are you telling them up front that this is to train you to multiply? And I'm, I'm telling them, yeah. Uh, and in fact, I will tell them, I say, hey, man, I, I'm going to invest my life in you, but it's with a goal that you're going to reproduce this in somebody else. So even while we're going through it, I will say things like, now, you notice this? Because when you take somebody through it, you need to be sure and say, that, I just say that all the way through. So they're reminded, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be. That's a really great question. Thank you for asking that. Um, you know, uh, I told you I've done one-on-one. I've also done groups that were way too big. I remember one of my first discipleship groups I ever did. I had girls and guys in there together, about 20 of them crammed in my little apartment. I, I broke every possible disciple-making rule, all right? It was awful, but God moved, right? And many of them are in ministry, full-time ministry, and so praise God as we say in Texas, you can hit a straight lick with a crooked stick. God can certainly do that. And, uh, but uh, now what I've, what I've kind of settled in on personally, I, I really agree with Ogden. I think three to four is really the, a great optimal number. And here's why. You're always going to have somebody that can't make it that night. Somebody gets sick. Somebody has a job issue. Something comes up. 
So if you just do two and one guy doesn't show, then you're like, okay, do we keep going? Do we not keep going? Do we wait for this other guy? So, so it's, it's funky. Um, if you have too many, if you have five, six or seven, uh, it's just hard to keep up with that many people. I mean, if you're retired and you don't have anything else to do, maybe you can, you can have the bandwidth of six or seven people. But it's much more than just what you're doing in, in your group time. I mean, you're keeping up with them. You're taking them out to lunch. You're dealing with their life. So I found that for me, three to four is the optimal number. If someone's out, you still have enough of the group to keep going, and you can let that guy just kind of catch up. Uh, but it's not so many that uh, I'm stretched out and I don't do a good job of follow through. Have you all found that to be the case? So uh, that's, that's a whole nother discussion, as we say, you know, a whole nother, right? Uh, that's the fine line I'm dealing with, right? Right. So I would just answer it for myself. Uh, and I know Glenn is in a different environment where they do home groups and they have a different model. So I think churches are doing it differently. What I do believe is that these environments need to happen somewhere. There needs to be an environment for unchurched people. There needs to be an environment for people to connect and grow in Bible study and community. There needs to be a place of accountability and training and a way to multiply them. Now, how you split that up, how you create those environments is very different. Uh, like at our church, we have, we have events for unchurched people, and we encourage people to come to worship that are exploring. We say, come to, come to church. We're going to teach from the Bible, and we want you to hear the gospel. But then we're going to move them into on-site groups, what we call connect groups. And that's strictly for the purpose of connecting them to the Word and with each other, community, and, and serving. But then we move them onto off-site groups for men with men, women with women. These are usually couples uh, for the purpose of training, and then we multiply. But there are others that have uh, group time where couples get together, and they do kind of they do this phase of it for the first hour, then the men break off into one room and the women break off to another room and they kind of do this in the second hour. So they're creating kind of hybrid groups. Honestly, I don't really, whatever I think works for you, uh, every church is different. I don't think that there's a right way or a wrong way. I just feel like though, if you eliminate one whole phase, I think you get into trouble then. If you only do these two and you don't do any training and then you expect them to multiply, you're not going to grow the depth and multiplication or the type of product you want. If you eliminate this and you go straight from uh, worship to only these groups, I think you may miss a lot of people that that's too big of a jump for them. So I think you've got to have those environments in there somewhere. You know, of, of you know, making disciple Well, I think that is a perfect example of creating the environment that is necessary for their spiritual growth. And I think however you're structured as a church, you need to do that. Uh, John Wesley followed this model preaching out to the coal miners Right? Then he would bring them into societies where there was a large congregation and they would also meet in classes that were mostly mixed classes, somewhere 12 to 15 people. But then he had others that were, he met just men with men, women with women for the purpose of training for multiplication. He would send them out to plant other churches and to preach in the coal mining field and they, they went that same way through. Same thing for Patrick in Ireland. He had a very similar type model. Of course, all this is just modeling back to the life of Jesus. So I think that as a church, you just have to decide, these are the basic environments I need. What is the best way to create that with the people that I have? And uh, I think the Holy Spirit's very creative and innovative. And I think, I think we, uh, we would be amiss to say, it's got to be done my way, this way. I, I, don't, I don't think that God quite works that way. 
Um, uh, last uh, thought here is that you should use some, I believe you should use some type of curriculum when you're doing this training phase. And the reason why is because uh, my next session, we're going to take a short break, and we're going to come back and talk about core competencies. Um, a lot of times folks will just, well, our curriculum's a Bible, we're just going to read the Bible. And that's great, man. I, who can argue with that, right? I mean, nobody can argue with using the Bible. And certainly any curriculum you use better be biblically solid stuff. But I will say this, just Bible reading on its own may not give them the skills necessary for reproduction. There are certain skills Jesus trained His guys to do. And if you don't know what those are, then they will not probably reproduce, certainly not three and four generations deep. So the, the curriculum uh, is, 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 a, is guardrails. It's tracks to run on. I mean, your life on life... The relational component is what the Holy Spirit's going to use. But the curriculum just makes sure that you're hitting the topics and make sure they're learning the skills necessary to move on. This is why you have curriculum in school, because you need to have this skill down before you can advance to the next level. And Jesus did train His men. So I'm going to talk next time after this break, what are the core competencies? What did Jesus train them to do? And, and how curriculum helps you to make sure that gets in that disciple so that they can reproduce. Okay? We'll see you in just a little bit. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. Make sure to download your copy of the free ebook by Disciple First called Invest in a Few. You can get it at discipleship.org slash disciple first. You'll find dozens of other great discipleship resources there as well at discipleship.org. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.